0: Well, good morning, Harvest KL, and uh, welcome back to our continuation of our worship service where we now get to turn our attention to the Word of God. I would encourage you, if you have your Bibles, to turn to the book of Romans this morning, chapter 12. We're just going to be looking at two verses there today as we continue in our theme of learning how to rise. If you remember in John chapter 14, uh, 31, it's uh, at the very end, uh, Jesus says to his disciples after explaining to them the, the, uh, the issues of the Holy Spirit and, and around the Last Supper, he says, rise, let us go from here. And he's actually speaking very specifically about that evening and the events uh, leading up to his uh, crucifixion. But we are using this as a theme this year to help us understand what it means to follow after Jesus. Rise, let us go from here. Let us follow Jesus. Let us learn how to do that. And so it's been a joy to, uh, in the month of February, preach about rising in our hope and how this is all rooted in the gospel, how it all begins. Our ability to live and follow Jesus really begins uh, with Uh, an understanding of the gospel. And now we're into uh, learning how to rise uh, with our head or in the knowledge of, of, uh, of Jesus in those things as well. And one of the things I'm super excited about is that Um, your elders have been preaching. They've each taken a month, and on the very first Sunday, they've been preaching to you and now have completed one round, uh, Dan in January, Shungao in February, uh, Gupri just last week. And they've each done a great job. They've each done a wonderful job uh, not being trained preachers, but really understanding the Word of God and being able to teach it and deliver it as elders are told to be able to do. And so, while uh, while they haven't had the the training to be uh, preachers, they are able to handle God's word and deliver it to you, feed it to you, and, and that's such a wonderful privilege for uh, for our church Harvest Kale to have that. And want to just uh, continue to encourage them. I would ask you pray for them. Uh, leading uh, is not easy. Uh, Leading and preaching uh, is something that really requires dependence upon the Lord. And uh, so if you would just continue to take uh, time to pray for Dan and Shungao and Gupreet as they lead and as they try to teach and shepherd this church. Uh, I think it's so important that they feel and understand that you are behind them and preaching, uh, I'm sorry, and praying for them in those things. And so I just wanted at the very beginning, as we begin our message here today, to encourage you, to encourage them, and to be praying for them in those things. It's my privilege to preach to you twice this month on this topic of rising with our mind. And so that's actually the title of the sermon today, Rise With Your Mind. Uh, Really, what, what I want you to see here is that Jesus wants your mind. Uh, That's kind of a, I I felt like that was a little bit awkward when I first started, when that phrase first started bubbling within me, but think about that. Uh, Maybe even say it aloud. Jesus wants my mind. So what does that mean? And why is that so important? Why is my mind something that Jesus really wants? Well, what we find is that when we first begin to have a relationship with Jesus, and some sort of conversion begins to happen where we realize I've been following the philosophies of the world. I've been following a false religion. I need to follow Jesus. I need to be in relationship with him. And when that conversion happens and that new birth, that the, the, the inheritance of our salvation, this living hope within us begins, as we begin to rise in our hope, God actually wants to not just transform uh, your standing before him, but he wants to transform all of you. And so we're going to see this month, he wants to transform your mind. And the next month he wants to transform your heart. And the month after that hit your hands and how you serve him. And, and so we're seeing here, or really seeing here, the importance of rising with our mind. And Gupreet did such a wonderful job last week of helping us look at Colossians 1 and seeing how Jesus Christ is really the impetus for all of this. And how important Christ, having our mind on Christ actually is. That if we're going to rise and follow Jesus... We have to know who he is, and we have to have confidence in him and who he is. That's really the motivation, the ability for us to truly follow after him. And today, I want to just push that a little bit further into a command that actually has been given to each and every one of us. Uh, it's a statement that, is, is, that we are told to follow after, and uh, it's found in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. So when we first come to faith, we recognize we gain this, we get this amazing, we receive this amazing gift of salvation. And one of the things that you're going to see here today is that if you receive the gift of salvation, there's actually a moral obligation that you follow the one who has given you this so great of a gift. We're going to see that and, how, and what he is expecting of us as a result of that. Now, so important that we don't do the religious thing and do it in our power. We're actually going to address some of that here today. And yet at the same time, there's something that he expects of us, out of our minds, of how we will live as a result of receiving the gift of salvation for him. And so let me read the text here this morning for us. Remember, the main idea, what we're trying to see here today, is that Jesus wants my mind, uh, that he's going to transform us to his good, acceptable, perfect will as we have our minds renewed around his word. Jesus wants my mind. And so let me read the text here this morning. If you have a copy of God's word, put your eyes on it. Let's read it together. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So compressed into just two verses is an incredibly important foundational principle that we need to understand if we are going to rise and follow after Jesus with our minds. And so what I want to show you here today is that really these verses are are commanding one specific activity, which is instructed to us, then gives us two ongoing activities for how to actually fulfill the command, and then it gives us three motivations for why we would want to or why we should uh, actually be obedient to what is being commanded of us. So let me unpack for you these things, and, and then I'm gonna give the principle before we begin to wrestle with it a little bit. So notice that in this text, uh, Paul is the writer of Romans, and he says, I appeal to you, therefore. So, good Bible study method- methods. Whenever you see the word, therefore, you should ask, what is it there for? In other words, when the biblical writers use this word, therefore, they're referring to the things that they said previously. And in Romans chapter 12, when Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, he's looking back at everything that he's written from chapter 1 to chapter 11. And in that, he he has told us some important things. He He says... Uh, that that he actually uh, sums it up by saying, by the mercies of God. You see that in verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, meaning the family of God, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God. That phrase, mercies of God, summarizes chapters 1 to 11, which is an incredibly rich and theologically uh, full uh, chapters in the Bible. And and really what happens in chapters 1 to 3, we see what salvation is and why we need it. And then we see in, in chapters 4 and 5 that we have new hope in Jesus Christ because we can't save ourselves is really what chapters 1 to 3 tells us is happening. And then in Romans chapters 6 to 8, we see that we have a new power to live the Christian life that we have been given. And then in verse, and, and chapters 9 through 11, we see God's mercy described in living color, in full color, and how there's this battle within us even now to live out in light of the mercies of God, the salvation that we have we have been given. So when Paul refers to that, he's referring to this section. Here, here's another way um, that uh, it, it is explained. In verses in chapters one to eleven, we see the gospel unpacked fully, and, and what happens is that on this in this great description of the gospel. We see at the beginning that Paul explains the utter depravity of all men and women. And then he explains how we don't have the ability to come to God by works of the law. We don't have the ability by religion to actually gain favor with God and actually be saved. And so that shows us that we have a need for faith in Jesus Christ for justification, to be declared righteous, and be given a new life that's found in Jesus Christ, and be given the hope that we have for salvation for the future that we already described last month. So in all of this, this great gospel are the mercies of God, and it's the cause by which we are motivated then to offer spiritual worship. Paul describes that spiritual worship this way. Our spiritual worship is when we present our bodies as li- as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So, so the one specific instruction that we are being given here is this. It, it, Paul says, I urge you, really, sorry, wanted to mention this as well. The word urge here is a really powerful word. It's parakaleo. It it means, uh, it has a wide range of meanings, but it includes calling somebody to come beside you. In other words, it's to exhort or to implore or to encourage you. A commentator has said it this way. He says, it's the earnest appeal based on the gospel to those who are already believers to live consistently with the gospel that they have received. So, so Paul is, is saying here, I urge you, I'm come alongside me. I really need you to understand this, that you are to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That is your spiritual worship to God. So if you've responded to Jesus Christ and you, when Jesus said, rise, and you said, I believe and, and I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to rise and follow him, then what we see here is that there is this expectation that you're going to live in a changed way. You're going to live in a way, it's described here, you're going to present your body as a living sacrifice. Now, that's kind of odd terminology, right? Wait a second, living sacrifice? What does that mean? Because I I know what a sacrifice is, and a sacrifice is when you, you, in the Old Testament system, they would take an animal and, and they would bring it to the temple, and on the altar they would they would kill the animal, and then that animal's death was the offering for the sin, and that was the transaction before God. You would kill this little animal, this little sheep. You would kill it, and God would see the blood of the, of the lamb that was there offered for your sins, because we deserve death because of that. But the lamb was our substitute. We offered the sacrifice for that little one. And this is the metaphor that's being used here, that we would offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. Now, notice... Uh, The word sacrifice, wait a second, so like I climb up on the stone altar and I kill myself? That's that's not what it's saying here. But it is this very physical nature where he says, present your bodies. So how you live should be in such a way that you are sacrificing yourself and, and, and worshiping God in that way, in that manner. So... So we see here, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's that's the worship act that we are supposed to continually be living out according to this verse. Now, the question is, how do we do that? So that's what we're supposed to do. How? Well, verse 2 tells us how. Actually, it gives us two ways how. One is negative and one is positive. And so the negative thing that he says uh, is this. Notice, it says, do not be conformed to this world. That's the negative statement. That if I were to present my body as a living sacrifice that would be holy and pleasing to God, it means I would, I would no longer be shaped by the things of this world. I would not allow the, the mold of this world to, to shape me to be like the world instead of being like Jesus. So, you know about molds, right? How, how there's some things that we have to, to shape we, we don't want to put pieces together. It just needs to be one piece, and so we create, using clay or something of that nature, the shape that we need, and then you pour the hot metal inside of it, and you press it together, and, and that, tur- that, tur- that mold turns into an object, a figure of some short, sort, right? Uh, actually, one of the largest things in the world that is molded is the propeller of ships, you know, like those big cargo ships, those monstrous, like the Queen Elizabeth passenger ship, the Carnival Cruise Lines, the, the, the big freight liners uh, that you see with all the shipping containers on it. Well, well the ships, the, the propeller, uh, they found it's best to have it be one piece. But some of these propellers are, are over nine meters tall and they're over 100 tons in weight there's these massive pieces of metal that they know the best way to form them is by not by putting pieces together, but having one shape. And so they, they put this mold together and they pour the hot metal inside of it until it hardens and then they take it off and they carve it and shape it until it's the perfect shape and, and use it. And that is what powers ocean liners and freighters all across the ocean. Well, what's being said here is that don't be powered by the shape of the world Instead, God wants something different to happen. He wants to shape you in a different way. Don't be conformed. Don't be molded and shaped uh, by this world. You think about how many things in this world that we are shaped by. We're shaped by all sorts of different things. The the Bible says in Colossians 2.8 that there's elementary principles of this world. that that we are often shaped by, that are at odds and different to Christ principles of the world, and that we can't live by both of those things. That there's always this internal battle that's going on within us. Am I going to live according to the shape of the world, or am I going to live according to the shape of Christ? And so it tells us here, don't be conformed by this world. Don't, Don't let your external behaviors be shaped internally by the world's values and the world system. It says it then this way, positively, it says that, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now, this is a, a fascinating statement that we're going to get into here in just a moment. But, but notice here, don't be conformed by this world. That's how number one. How number two is be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Remember, we're saying Jesus wants your mind, that we we're trying to rise with our mind. And so we're seeing how powerful our mind is, just like the power of a ship propeller, our, our minds power us through this life. And Jesus is saying here, or Paul is saying, that Jesus wants you to live as a living sacrifice, not by being shaped by the world, but instead by being transformed by the renewing of your minds. So that's what, what is present your bodies as a living sacrifice. How is, don't be shaped by the world, instead by the renewing of your minds, and so the principle is this, and, and write this down, we'll put this on the screen. This passage is teaching us that I am to present my body as a living sacrifice by not conforming to the world, but instead being transformed by the renewing of my mind. Do you sense how important your thoughts are? Do you see how in the spiritual realm, your mind is the propeller that is going to drive your behavior and your actions. And so Jesus wants your mind. G- Jesus, if you're going to rise and follow him, you have to give your whole mind over to him. You, you have to dedicate the activities of your mind to him in this way. I got to thinking about that and I realized that's all in well, well and good. I see this. Like, I understand. Like, any religion. There, there's a set of moral codes. I'm supposed to be transformed. I'm supposed to live by a certain standard. But, but oftentimes what I find is that while I agree <laughs> that there's some moral standards I should live by, I fail to live by those things. And, and actually, if I'm even really examining and honest with myself about it, On the inside, there's times I don't even want to do the things that God has told me to do. I I don't want to follow the moral code. I I want to create my own moral code. I want to create my own ways of doing things. Sometimes it's very specific that way, but other times it's just like suddenly I find myself in a position that I didn't realize, I'm not even sure how I got here. Uh, and, And then I look back and I realize, oh, I had some beliefs that, Somewhere I picked up and somehow they crept into my belief system. I wasn't even consciously trying to act that way, but my actions, my behavior are showing that I actually lived very differently than how God wants me to. And that happens, listen, so many times we look and we think that, wow, that's, what, that's the way I used to be. But if we're super honest, we all right now, even if you already believe in Jesus, even if you've been following Jesus for many years, there's still these things that trip us up. And like, where did they come from? So what I see here is that while I'm told to present my body as a living sacrifice, there, there's a little bit of a crisis within me when I read this because, well, that's, that's good religious speak, but uh, to be honest with you, I'm not living as a living sacrifice. I'm not sacrificing any, anything to the Lord. I'm not sacrificing my life, my ways, the things I want, my thinking. I, I want to keep those things and just kind of add Jesus to it. I have to recognize that, um, you know what, I— I understand that it says, don't be conformed to this world, but if I'm honest, I got to realize that there's a lot of things about the world that are forming me. So here's not meant to guilt you in any way, but here's an evaluation that I found really useful and helpful. Thinking a little bit about how much am I influenced by the world? And I began to realize that actually we are all immensely influenced by our environment around us, the things that go on. And many times that really shapes my thinking. And so it's kind of like, you know how this goes, the frogs in boiling water, right? You know that if you take a frog and you, I don't know why you would ever do this, okay? But this is the illustration everybody talks about. You take a frog and you throw it in a hot pot, it's going to jump right out. Because it knows the water is boiling and it's going to scald itself, it's going to burn, it's going to be killed, and so it jumps out. But if you were to apparently take a frog, I've never done this, take a frog and you put it into a pan and you slowly heat that water until the water comes to a boil, the frog will stay inside of it. Because the frog doesn't realize that the things around it that are changing it are ultimately going to kill it. And I think that we're kind of like that at times when we see how much the world saturates our thinking. We don't even realize that it's really happening. I mean, some things are shocking and we just, we realize, oh, I can't do that. I got to be away from that. Like we can't murder people or, you know, whatever that is. But then there's other things that are just slowly seeping in. The temperature is rising. I don't realize that it's killing me from the inside out. So thinking about that and thinking about how much has changed and during COVID over this past year, I was just thinking a little bit about what influences me the most. And so many times it's the world. And it happens just through media consumption. Now, I don't want to get on, all on like this parenting thing of how many hours you're supposed to have as a kid on media stuff. I'll, I'll let you guys figure that out. But there is something to be said here. Media consumption in 1995, so 25 years ago or so, most people watched about two and a half hours of TV. By 2005, most people were spending about six hours watching TV or on computers, or that's when uh, smartphones and things really started to come in too. By 2015, people were looking at some sort of screen, 7.5 hours per day so i got to thinking about that and and said okay what has happened recently and i went and i i was reading some research and nielsen is a it measures how much uh, people watch screens and tvs and stuff and in 2018 it was the average was eight hours and 41 minutes in 2019 it had gone up to 10 hours and nine minutes in 2020 covid hit nobody could go outside lockdown mco all those types of things right it's 13 hours and 28 minutes of consumption of media. Now, listen, I'm not saying screens in and of themselves are bad. I'm not even saying everything that we're watching on the screen is bad. But what I'm saying is, do you know what's influencing you? I, I, I kind of hate it, my, my iPhone now tells me how much time I've spent on it, right? And, and it's supposed to be a little bit of a deterrent because I realize, whoa, I spent way too much time on Facebook or news sites or whatever it is. And really more than anything, it's like, well, wait a second, what am I being consumed by? What is the hot water around me that the temperature is rising on? Do I even realize what's going on there or not? What I find is that when I look at these verses and I'm told, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That, that's, your, that's a spiritual act of worship that so many times I'm actually the opposite, <laughs> My mind isn't being transformed by the renewing that Jesus Christ wants to do in me. Instead, what I find is, I'm being molded and shaped by the things of this world. So I'm more shaped and formed by the world than renewed in my mind. So my sacrifice then is tainted, I feel guilty about it, I don't want to put it up there. Or I just don't offer it at all. or. I'm doing all sorts of things, working really hard, trying to do it God's way in my own strength, which I want to show you here in a moment is so different than how God wants to do that. So here we are looking at this text. I'm supposed to offer, present my body as a living sacrifice. That's that's my spiritual worship, by not being transformed, not being conformed to the world, but instead being transformed by the renewing of my mind. I realized, oh no, I think I'm like the frog. The water temperature around me is happening. I think I'm actually, like, when I compare how much time I spend in God's word and in prayer, it's so far less than all the soup of the world that's around me. So what do I do? What is it then? How is it that I can actually come in line in obedience and present my body as a living sacrifice? Not be conformed? by the things of the world, instead be transformed by the renewing of my mind? Well, we have to look to Christ. Because if any other way we would go about trying to obey this would be, would be just our own efforts, and it would fall short. I mean, how many of you, you've seen a command in the Bible, you've tried to do it in your own strength, and for a time maybe even at work, but then you fail. And, and, and you failed enough times that it's almost like it's turned into this, like I'm, I'm addicted to the sin or I just can't get out of doing these things in this sinful way. And it's because I'm trying to do it in and of myself. I'm trying to, to, to prove to God, I can do this. It's in my strength and we fall short every single time that we do it. But that's oftentimes what we try to do. But we know that this is a life of faith. This is a life of looking to the one who has accomplished everything that is needed for my righteousness. And so when we come to a principle like this, and we realize that we're falling short of it, I think we have to come back to see how did Jesus Christ fulfill this for us? And then what do I need to do to, to repent of the wrong things and, and believe in the, and walk in the new things? That's where I want to go here. So what I want to show you here is actually around a really important word in the text. Look at at verse 2 again. It says, don't be conformed, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So I I want to focus in on this phrase, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And I want to show you, first of all, that in this phrase, there's one section of the phrase that is intended to be passive. In other words, you're supposed to let it happen to you. And there's another part of this phrase that you are supposed to be active in and participating in. So look at the phrase again as I read it. Which do you think is passive and which do you think is active? It says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. In the original language, what you would find if you were to study the grammar, that that actually the passive part is be transformed, which our temptation is always like, oh, be transformed, there's something for me to do. Oh, I wanna change, I wanna be different, so I'm going to be transformed. And then we start try to figure out how do we do that? That's oftentimes where we stumble and fail, But, but we're starting in the wrong spot thinking that I'm supposed to do the activity of being transformed when that's actually God's activity that he does in our life. I'm going to show you the scripture for that in just a moment. The, the active part that you and I are supposed to be engaged in is the second part of the phrase. It's by the renewal of your mind. Like, like God's going to do the part of transforming me. That, that's, I'm passive in that part. He's active in that part. And then I'm active in by the renewal of my mind. Remember, uh, rise with your mind. Jesus wants my mind. It's because that's the part that we're supposed to engage in here. I'm supposed to, by the renewal, I got to do some mind renewal things to be transformed in partnership with what God is doing on that side. And that is me presenting my body as a living sacrifice. And so I want to show you that the word transformed here, uh, it actually is the word uh, in English, uh, or if we were to do the English translation, it would be metamorphizo. What does that sound like? except for my bad pronunciation. <laughs> it sounds like the word metamorphosis, which is what happens when that little caterpillar gets that in that little cocoon. And then after a while, turns and sprouts wings and turns into the beautiful butterfly, right? And, and, and so this metamorphosis, be transformed is, is what we're supposed to be passive in. God's going to do that to us. Now, now, let me show you how, because there's actually only other two other places in Scripture that this word in the Greek is used. And the first is in Mark chapter 9. So, so just... Uh, we'll put this on the screen, but Mark chapter nine is actually the story of the transfiguration of Jesus Christ, where Jesus, while he's physically walking on earth, takes some of his disciples up a mountain, and he's transfigured. He's transformed into his glorified state, and they see a picture of the perfection of Jesus in glorification. But but what it says here is, uh, I'll, I'll just start in verse two. After six days, Jesus took him. With him, Peter and James and John, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there he and there appeared with him some of the prophets. So, so when he was transfigured, he was he was metamorphosed. He he was metamorphosed. he was transformed. Here we say he was transfigured. And what I want you to notice about this is that what happened there was supernatural. It wasn't anything that Peter, James, and John could cause to happen to Jesus. We just get the description that he was metamorphosed, he was transfigured, transformed, and it was a supernatural thing that God in his power caused to happen and Peter and James and John saw it happen and saw Jesus transformed in this way. But but the point I'm trying to make is it, it was supernatural. It wasn't anything that a natural man could do. And so when a text is saying in Romans 12, be transformed and it's passive, realize that it's not something that you can achieve. It's something that has to supernaturally happen by the power of God in your life. Now, what I love about this is that we see that while we cannot be transformed, we cannot cause it to happen, it supernaturally has to happen that God supernaturally transformed Jesus into a living sacrifice for you and I. So when we see here that I'm to present my body as a living sacrifice, I realize I can't do that I, I don't have the ability, I don't have the desire, I, I, I don't have the things that are needed for that, but Jesus Christ has fulfilled all of that for me. And we know that as Jesus Christ was, he wasn't just the living sacrifice, he, he, di- he died as the sacrifice for you and me. And so ultimately, when Jesus says in John 14, rise, let us come, let us go, he, he's saying, let us go to the place where I am going to become the sacrifice for anybody who believes in me. And the supernatural power of transformation, of taking somebody who's a sinner who can't help themselves to bring them to new birth and new life in, in their belief in me, I, I'm going to do the activity that's required and that you can't do, but I'm going to supernaturally do it for you. This is the gospel that we believe in. And we get the assurance of this in Hebrews. So we'll put this up on the screen. In Hebrews chapter 10, we see the description, kind of the, at the, the, the post-game uh, analysis of what happened when Jesus was on the cross. When Jesus said, I'll be the sacrifice on the altar, on, I'll, I'll put myself on top of the wood of the cross, and, and I'll pay the price of sin. Like the little lambs, I'm the once for all lamb. It's how Hebrews talks about it. So let me read Hebrews 11, I'm sorry, chapter 10, verses 11 to 14, and maybe a little beyond. It says, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. What that verse is saying is that while the priest would put up the lamb and kill it for the sins of the person offering it, that was symbolic, that was substitutionary. The actual lamb wasn't taking away the sins. But, but God had made a way that he said, it'll be acceptable to me if you put that sacrifice up there, I will remove the sin with the with the lamb being your substitute. So so understand what this verse is saying here is that the little lamb wasn't actually taking the, the sin away. It was symbolic, it was it was substitutionary for what was happening. So let's keep going, it says, in verse 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, that's when he went up on the wood on the cross, right? He sat down at the right hand of God. This is after his resurrection. We know that's where he is right now. Uh, Waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Now that's a powerful verse for you and me. Because what he's saying is, there was one single sacrifice that he perfected for all time for those who are being sanctified, those who are rising and following after Jesus. We, we don't have to over and over have our sins paid for because Jesus Christ did it once for all. When you believe in him, he's accomplished and ultimately fulfilled everything that you need to present your body as a living sacrifice. I mean, just think about that. Jesus has done everything that is needed to restore a relationship with God, paid the price that you and I were supposed to pay, and and as as our substitute, he put himself in that place so that if you believe in him, you can have the restored relationship with God. I mean, does that not free you to be able to say, I will present my body as a living sacrifice, as an act of worship to the God who made it possible for my salvation? In all of this, then, we see, let's move over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and just try to complete the the, the cycle here. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, it helps us to understand uh, how this transformation truly happens, how this metamorphizo. So, this is the second place that we see the word transform or metamorphizo uh, used here in Scripture. And in verse 18, it says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed, that's metamorphosed, into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So what I want you to see here is that that... Christ is the ultimate fulfillment of this and we see how he was transfigured and that was a supernatural act that happened just like God then supernaturally transformed him through, I'm sorry, transformed us through Christ being the actual sacrifice on the cross. And then the second place that this word is used, we see just a very clear description that we're all being changed, we're all being transformed into the image, the same image of Jesus Christ, and this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And so I want you to see, not only is this supernatural, it's Spirit-powered. So when you look at this and you go, the crisis is, I can't do this. I can't be transformed by the renewal of my mind. That's okay. (laughs) Okay. because you're not supposed to do any of the transforming. You're supposed to be trusting in the supernatural transformation of Jesus Christ on the, that, that saved, your, saved you by paying for your sins on the cross, and then you're supposed to be Spirit-powered to live a life that understands how to walk in the reality of the resurrected life of Jesus Christ. So, it has, doesn't have anything to do with you. <laughs> You're not the one that is supposed to be transforming yourself, making you into a better person. It's fascinating that in this world, we have such a large content about self-help and how to improve yourself and make yourself better. And while I think it's good to become better at things, when it comes to the spiritual things, we cannot, we cannot just, you gotta, you cannot spiritually improve your position in any way. That if you're going to be transformed, you have to trust in the supernatural power of Jesus Christ and and then live a spirit-led life that lives out the values of transformation that are happening in you. And then you can actually be renewed in your mind. So so what I'm trying to help you see here is be transformed. That's the work of God. By the renewing of your mind— That's how you join God in the process of being renewed in these things. So it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That's how we offer ourselves as living sacrifices to God. One that says to God, Lord, I... Whatever you want from me, uh, whatever place you want me to live, whatever job you want me to do, whatever person you want me to talk to, whatever moral you want me to follow, whatever difficult thing that I I have trouble with, you want me to stop. Whatever uh, difficult thing that I have trouble doing, you want me to start. That's spiritual worship to God. I'll offer myself up. I'm going to stop doing things my way in the independence of that, and I'm going to follow you in this. So in all of this, we have an inability to do what this command says in our own hearts, in our own lives. We cannot rise and follow Jesus in our own strength in these ways. Because we've rejected Christ and said, God, I don't want it to be a supernatural transformation that comes from you. I want it to be a natural that comes within me. I want the confidence that I did it. We reject the idea that it's a spirit-led transformation. I don't want to be led by the spirit. I I want to do things my way. And in that, then we fall so far short and really we're just allowing the mold of the world to shape us even right there and saying, my way, not God's way. And we come into the elementary principles of the world, we come into the, the, the way of living that is opposite from God and we can't find a way out of it because we won't trust him. We reject the supernatural gift of Christ and the spirit-powered way of doing things in this way. And that's why we have to repent. Repent and rejoice. That is the Christian walk, right? We wanna repent, believe in what Christ has to say, live it out joyfully. And so I want us to look at, as we close today, three ways that we need to repent and three ways that we should rejoice. So repenting, number one, this, this, this morning, I want you to see this. You need to repent of not living as a spiritual, as a living sacrifice. You need to repent and say, God, I recognize I've been wrong, that I have not presented my body as a living sacrifice to you. I've said, I don't want to get up on the altar. I don't want to die to myself. I don't want to stop doing the things that I'm not supposed to and start doing the things that I do want to do. I want to repent today of not living as the sacrifice that's holy and acceptable and worshipful to you. In what area of your life could you say, That's me? I've held that back from God. I've not been willing to. Let that go and sacrifice and, and do what he has called me to in this way. Well, The way forward is you have to first own that that's wrong and that, that you need to surrender and say, Lord, I, I got to stop doing that. Please help me do that. I repent of that. Number two, it's likely then that you need to repent of being so saturated with the world instead of the word. So it says, don't be conformed by this world, but by the renewing of your mind. How does your mind get renewed? It happens when your eyes are saturated and your life is saturated with the word of God. When you're saying, God, you want me to rise and follow you? How do you want me to follow you? And that you're taking the time to put in the effort, not just to read a quick Verse and pray at the beginning of your day, but to study and dig deep and say, God, show me who you are. Your character is revealed in this and I want to know you. I want to be in relationship with you because of the gift of salvation that you've given to me. And so I repent of being saturated with the world and all the things around it and and, and say, Lord, by faith, uh, help me now to saturate my mind with your word for that's how you revealed yourself to us. And that means that you might have to start some very different habits. If you're truly ready to repent of that, that means you might have to put your phone down a little more often. You might have to pick up your Bible as often as you pick up your phone. You might have to realize, I am being, the water temperature is just being raised on my life by being saturated by all the things around me. So I, I, listen, I'm not trying to get you to uh, go burn all your music and throw away all your TVs and things of that nature, as some preachers have done. I'm just saying What would it look like for you to repent of being saturated and conformed by the world? What would it look like for your heart instead of being molded by everything of of the world around you, be molded by the things of God, his word and his spirit? That's what you would need to do. And then lastly, I believe that we need to repent of not renewing our minds. It's just very clear. This is my responsibility in this text. That I need to be about renewing my mind. Some of you are thinking, what? I didn't think, what? Why do I need a new mind? My mind is solid. It's strong. It's logical. It's reasoning. It's, it's, but listen, if you're not actively pursuing a way for God to change your mind about some things, beliefs that you've held for a long time, but don't really line up with the things of scripture. If you're not asking God to show you what those things are, if you're not pursuing rigorously that, what's likely happening then is that you are on the external, you're trying to look good like Christ, but inside your character is actually rotten. And what Jesus wants to do is he wants you to repent of that. Instead of just making yourself look good, instead of showing up at church and Christian functions and trying to act like a Christian and do Christian behaviors, what if he really transformed your heart? The gateway to that is through your mind. The thing that God wants to do is change your mind about some things. So I remember when I was in high school, I went on a retreat. And uh, while, when I was on a retreat, we were at a lake and there was this uh, a platform that was a little ways offshore. And one of my friends was out there on the platform. He was able to stand on the edge of the platform and do a backflip off and into the water. And it looked awesome. I thought, Wow, I can do that. I, I'm strong, I, 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 I've never done it before in my life, but I can do it. So I went and I stood on the edge and I jumped backwards and I tried to get myself to do a backflip and I ended up doing like this weird, twisted belly flop type of thing. I couldn't figure out what the problem was. So I got up and I tried it again. This time I didn't even make it around. I just like back back. Uh, back flop. And so my belly was hurting. My back was hurting. My friends were laughing at me. Haha, you can't do a belly flop. I said, well, what am I doing wrong? And, they, and the guy who said he could do it said, I know what your problem is. He said, it happens to everybody. It says when you stand on the edge, you actually have to jump so that and throw your head backwards. And then you have to get your eyes around to the spot that you want your feet to land. And you have to look at that all the way around. He said, if you just try to throw yourself and and turn yourself backwards, it won't work. But your eyes have to get around to the spot where you want to land and the rest of your body will follow. Listen, when it comes to renewing our minds, repent of not doing the work to get your eyes to the place where you want to land, which is the word of God, the the character of God revealed in the word of God. But when you get your eyes on that, listen, you, you can do the transfer, you can join God in the transformation to flip your life around and do the things the way that He wants you to. Why would you do that? Well, these are the things, three things I want us to rejoice in. Three reasons in the text that are given for why we would offer our bodies as a living sacrifice and be transformed in the renewing of our mind, joining God in that process, not being conformed in the world in, in that. Number one, it's this. Notice in verse one at the very beginning, He says, I appeal to you, brothers by the mercies of god listen when you understand the mercies of god that you don't deserve anything that you've been given by god that he has given you what you don't deserve that creates in us gratitude i'm so amazed that you saved me i didn't deserve anything listen the person who thinks they deserve to be saved won't have the gratitude to be motivated to present their bodies as the living sacrifice but those of us who understand that i don't deserve a single thing that that that, like paul said i'm the worst of sinners listen i think that's the attitude we all should look at because we know ourselves best i'm the worst of sinners because i know how bad i am more than you do i'm the worst of sinners and god still reached down and pursued me and saved me and gave me the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. Therefore, listen, with great gratitude, I'm motivated to repent of these things and to begin to walk in, in what God has called me to. Motivation number two is this. It's in this last part of verse one. It says that um, if we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Listen, holy and accept, you can be. you can do things that are acceptable to God. I mean, that's an incredible motivation, that I can do things to please God. Not only am I grateful for the mercy that he's given to me, but if I present my body as a living sacrifice, I'm doing things that please him. And just think about how powerful it is when we are able to please a parent or somebody in authority, and how that motivates us to want to do it again. And you can please God by presenting your body as a living sacrifice. Does that now cause you to want to be excited about obeying Christ's command here? And then here's the last thing. It's at the end of verse 2. It says that if you are transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So I said it this way. Life will go well. Do you want a life that goes well? Do you want a life that, 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 listen, I'm not saying it's free of problems and you'll never have issues because we still live in a sin-saturated world, but do you want a life that, that is good and acceptable and perfect? Then you need your mind renewed. You need to work with the transformation God is doing in you supernaturally and by the Spirit and have your mind renewed. And when those things go together, what happens is that you are able to test and discern the will of God. You know God's ways. And they're good and acceptable and perfect. And listen, life is so much better when you're doing life God's way. So God wants your mind. And when we begin to see, wow, He's given me this opportunity through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. When I begin to see, wow, I can please him by how I live. And oh, I can know how to know what God's will is and live that way. And life's going to go better when I'm doing things God's way. Like that motivates me to say, you know what? I'll put myself up on the living sacrifice altar. I'm willing for that. I'll live for that. That's something that I'm ready to do for Christ. Jesus wants your mind. He wants you to rise with your mind and follow him. To follow him means you're going to have to die to yourself and become a living sacrifice for him. That's your spiritual worship. You're going to have to stop being molded and shaped by the things of the world and instead let God do the transforming work while you join him with the renewing of your mind. And then you have a life that lives lives out of gratitude and pleasing of God and, and knowing how to live his way. You'll be motivated. You'll want to do that if you would give Jesus your mind. We're going to close by singing, Yet Not I, but through, but through Christ in Me. And in the fourth verse, it says, With every breath I long to follow Jesus. Is that true of you? Sometimes it's not, right? We need to repent. But man, with every breath I long to follow Jesus, for he has said that he will bring me home. And day by day I know he will renew me until I stand with joy joy before the throne. Listen, Jesus is transforming you. Will you join him by renewing your mind? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word and for the guide that it is to us. Lord, we ask that you would help us to become saturated, to love your word, to seek your word out. Lord, we want to do that because you've told us to be active in renewing our mind as you do the work of transforming us. God, I need to be changed. We all need to be changed. I want to be different, and I recognize so many times I've tried to be different in my own strength and my own power. And while sometimes it's worked for a little bit of time, every time it actually fails when it's only me doing it. So, Lord, I need you. I need you to help me be transformed. Lord, I don't wanna be conformed by the world. Would you point out the ways that I am and would you help me to to, uh, be renewed in my thinking to follow after you? Lord, in that, would you be worshiped as I put to death the things of the world that are within me and sacrifice those things, uh, Lord, laying them on the altar and saying, God, I wanna be like you, change me to be like you. Lord, I will do that because I'm so grateful for the mercy that you've given to me. And I wanna please you. And I want a life that lives in your will and your ways. It's so much better that way. So God, would you do that? We long to follow you and we know that you will renew me. And so Lord, we want to stand right now with joy and ask you, Christ, not I, but through you, would you do this work? It's in Christ's name I pray, amen.